Y'all, Seattle is sold out. Los Angeles sold out. Nashville sold out. And our other shows only have a few tickets left. So I am on a live tour in June. Get your tickets in Chicago, Portland, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Washington, D.C., We have live shows and we have a writing workshop I am teaching. Plus, if you're in New York City, I am kicking off my book tour with Jon Stewart. And there are some tickets left. So check the link in the show notes to get your tickets. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of badass female celebrities who have been torn down by tabloids, dissected by social media, and faced heartaches and triumphs and come out of it all even stronger. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I am a writer, comedian, and filmmaker. And this week, we are book clubbing Diane Guerrero's memoir, published in 2016, titled In the Country We Love. This book will absolutely break your heart, but it will also make you laugh, and it tells a story that you might think you have an idea of, but it will surprise you just how much it surprises you. If you want more pizza, vote for Maritza. I like pizza. Everyone likes pizza. What, it's American as shit. It's Italian, you fucking idiot. <laughs> what, you got something better? Yeah. I'm gonna run. Oh, oh shit. It's all fancy. What? Vote for flaca, putas full of caca. <laughs> all right, John, have it on us. That was one of Diane's first standout scenes on Orange is the New Black, where she plays a character named Maritza, and she talks about that pizza moment in the book. It was actually the scene she auditioned with. Diane has been in Orange is the New Black. She was Lena in Jane the Virgin and Sophia on Superior Donuts and so much more. We're going to dive into everything and all of her memoir with our wonderful guest, Claudia Restrepo. Hi, Claudia. Hello. So excited to be here and recap some of the most tragic uh, trauma of somebody's life. <laughs> Happy to be here regardless. <laughs> Happy to have you. The mission statement of this podcast somehow. Um, yeah. Claudia is a writer, director, and actor. She wrote for the animated show Your Daily Horoscope. She's part of the filmmaking team behind The End of Us, a romantic comedy, which premiered at the 2021 South by Southwest Film Festival huge deal. And she's a former BuzzFeed video producer where she wrote and directed many, many videos for the Latinx digital platform, Pero Like. So, Claudia, amazing bio first off. Um, Secondly, I introduce all my guests with the story of how we first met. And I feel like we have had three meetings, very first meeting in person. Then I feel like we met online through book club. And then we re-met in person. And then we yes, re-met I'm, in person two days ago. Every time I listen to the podcast and you tell these wonderful, fun stories, kismet stories of how you met people. And then I'm like, oh man, ours is going to be so weird. <laughs> it's like a, <laughs> oh, I a series, think, an evolution. I feel like ours is, I feel like I like ours. Okay. Will you tell the story of how we very, very first met? Because I think you remember that better than I do. We very briefly met because my roommate is also a stand-up and she brought me to a show that a mutual friend, Taylor Cox, was hosting with you, I believe. Yeah, we used to host um, a show together. And, yeah, and we had a great time. And I remember so specifically when you went up, not to, you know, knock anybody else that was there, but I remember whispering to her, like, she's really good. Who's that? And oh my God. Like, oh, okay, I love this part Chelsea. of the story. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, and then I think we were, like, briefly introduced. Um, yes. But I... 
feel like the second. The second meeting, I thought was so, so the second meeting really is, I feel like Celebrity Book Club brought us together in a deeper way because you were doing this great photo series on Instagram where you would recreate JLo photos, which I was just obsessed with. And then we would talk about the stories in my DMs. And then you guys, so this this whole thing started on my Instagram. And then I got it in my head of like, I should do an Instagram live show because it was May. It was May of the pandemic. So that's where the mood was at, where I would have, yeah. We were all like, we sure. We were all desperate for anything to occupy ourselves. Anything to waste our time. And so we all got in bathtubs <laughs> and, and I did a bathtub book club on Instagram Live and Claudia joined me as one of my guests, but I had overbooked the show and I was so hot and sweaty. I was dying in that bath. I was in that bath for like two hours. You were in for so long. That's right. I was in and for that so was long. Demi, Demi Moore's, if I recall. Yeah. I honestly don't even remember now. Um, but yeah, we had this days. amazing book tub together. And then we had the best in-person meeting where you brought wine over to my porch. And I it was basically a, invited myself over and was like, we can't just meet digitally. I have to see you in real life. This is happening. I loved it. I loved it so much. And I love when I love when that happens because you're like, yay, they want to be my friend. Like it's it's in writing. They put it in a text message. I can be sure they want to hang out with me. <laughs> Probably my um, first, I never really online dated. I kind of got, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's lucky oh, or unlucky. Kind of yo, missed yes, that, it's very lucky. that moment in history. <laughs> so this felt like my foray, which is like, hey, DM, do you want to hang out? Oh, I'm Please? so <laughs> honored. <laughs> um, so I'm so glad we got to hang out and have a little wine. It's a bummer you missed it because you would have crushed, I guess. You know, you crushed with me. So I think that's an indicator. Um, okay. So when I first sent out the list of books, which I think was close to a year ago now, you chose, a right? I mean, it was a long, it was a long ass time ago, if not like, I don't know, six months. What is time? Yeah, but, it was a long time ago. Um, you chose Diane's book right away. What made you choose this book? Well, I'd actually read it before. Um, and beyond the sort of like parallels that, I can't like think of Diane without thinking of the just sort of things we have in common in the Venn, Venn diagram of life of being around the same age, both Colombian parents, you know, both in this entertainment industry, both amazingly gorgeous <laughs> actresses, Beautiful, you know, it's just perfect like species. the comparisons yes. go on and on. <laughs> um, but we actually, I don't know if it's like weird to mention that it was also for work because we had an opportunity to perhaps work with her actually at one point. Um, oh, wow. To, I, it was around when her book had just come out and there was an opportunity to perhaps collaborate on doing like a video or video series that would, you know, tell the story of her parents' deportation or, you know, bring more light to this, you know, tragic event that happened. And it never quite, you know, we did like a phone meeting and it never quite went anywhere. But that was Wow, that so this podcast is your book. revenge to tell the this story. Not, you missed out, Diane, you missed out. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was just one of those things where it's like, everyone's so busy. We tried, but, yeah, um, of course. but I read the book around the research for that project and was so moved by it, was so struck by her story that it's just one I've always thought about and held on to since. So when it was on that list, I was like, well, this is, this is a tale that needs to be read and shared. Well, I'm so happy you did. And right before, because it was so long ago when I DM'd you, I was like, are you ready to do this? We were like, do you think people are ready for Diane's book? And I held a poll on Instagram and Facebook and overwhelmingly everyone was like, read 
this book, which I love because the, the cookies have great taste. Um, because it it's such a great story. And before we dive into it, um, I want to point out that her collaborator, ghostwriter Michelle Burford, is also Cicely Tyson's ghostwriter. Um, uh-huh. And I love yeah. when I recognize the ghostwriter because also the type of writing in this book is a 180 from Cicely's. And so it's like, oh yeah, ghostwriters really do an incredible job of capturing the voice because it's not the same writing or format in any way. That's great. Yeah. It's always so fun to see someone do their job well. That's right? It's always so fun to see someone just crushing it at work. Just, you know, <laughs> I almost said girl bossing, but then I threw up and couldn't. Um <laughs> Okay, so I want to read um I want to read the end of page 3 to start us off. Just as one moment can bring despair, it can also lead to a powerful new beginning, a different life, a dream for moving onward and upward rather than backward. What you'll read in these pages is ultimately about that hope, the same desire that once led my family to this nation. That hope is the only thing that has sustained me through this frightening ordeal. These days, we're surrounded by a lot of talk about immigration reform, border security, a path to citizenship for the millions of undocumented workers who live among us. Behind every one of the headlines, there is a family, a mother and father, an innocent child, a real-life story that's both deeply painful and rarely told. At last, I've found the courage to tell you mine. So, that's how it starts. (laughs) It's crushing. It's absolutely crushing. Uh, So to kind of tell the story, which really is handed up front, is uh, Diane is 14 when her parents are deported. And the government takes her parents, uh, makes them go back to Colombia. Separately, her brother was also deported. And she's 14 years old, and the government didn't even know she was there or that she existed. And she was all alone and had to make it on her own uh, in this country without a mom and dad. Many things are great about this story, but it's so authentic. And I think it gives details to what people imagine. Because maybe you imagine this, like, on the news, you've read about this, but, like, in this story is, like, her, her like, figuring out if she's going to be able to go to prom while her parents are in jail. She has nowhere to live, but is also getting her first boyfriend. And the animosity that grows and, like, just how complicated it is to have this story. And when you were um, hoping to help bring this out, like what were the parts of the story that were really speaking to you? She does a beautiful job at, I mean, especially because I'm sure any sort of traumatic moment is so ingrained in you. It it is like time slows down and you just notice more. Uh, And when we were sort of talking about doing a project, we sort of like did these kind of like memory exercises of thinking, how, how would we show the loneliness of that day? of yeah. walking into the space and knowing being there. And it's and she describes it so perfectly and so heartbreakingly. Yeah. Just the emptiness of coming home and no one being there. Like all sad immigrant stories, it like kind of starts with something good. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> like, so they 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 had just won the lottery, right? Like literally her dad had a few weeks before gotten a lotto ticket and won several thousand dollars. And T- like ten thousand dollars, right? Which is mean, just a million dollars was like $100,000, I'm yeah. sure. Yes. And he had been super sweet and given her 50 bucks to like buy a pair of shoes. So she bought them on the way home and was feeling good. And she stops at a payphone to call home and they don't pick up. And she instantly knows because she's been on guard her entire life to look out for these moments of that something could be off and no one picks up. And so she rushes home, you know, praying <laughs> that they're there and sees the car. And she's like, okay, they're, they're home. They just didn't pick up. And the whole event is just 
one hope being crushed after the other, going in and seeing a pair of shoes and her being like, oh my God, okay, they are, they are home. But then no one's home. Seeing some like platanos that were like ready to be prepared, seeing her dad's glasses on a bedside table and calling for everybody and going to room to room. And it is just, you can't think of it without your heart just breaking. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's what's so, what's so shocking is when you think of like, oh, the government, ICE, you know, this system of making sure that the right thing happens in this country. And like, they, they didn't even know they had a daughter. Um, who, who, and a child, a minor who was coming home. Or they didn't care. Like there, yeah, there care. is no follow-up. There yeah. was no follow-up. No follow-up. And it's, it gets even more heartbreaking after that. Her parents get one phone call from jail. They, they tell her she has to pack their bags and bring them to the detention center um, because they're going back to Columbia. And so all of their lifelong belongings and what they need to now live their life, Diane at 14 has to like pack a bag for. And then when she comes downstairs, neighbors have come over and she thinks she thinks they're going to offer love and support. And they start raiding the house and taking food, being like, well, you're not going to need it. I had somehow blocked that out from the first reading. Uh, and <laughs> as I read it before, it was just... Rage, just rage, appalling. I, I mean, and they seem, and they're just sort of like, yeah, let us know if you need anything. She's fourteen, and because, like you said, like it had been built into her life of like never tell anyone anything about us, like keep your head down, never make a scene. She gets hit by a car and doesn't want to tell anyone, even though Diane was born in this country, so she is a legal citizen. But she's just spent her whole life so afraid of the authorities. Any type of checkup like that, she's always been like, you cannot do that, and so. Um, she's, yeah, she's both been prepared for this day and is also 14, which is so, yeah. inten- it's just so intense. Yes, it is a lot. And, and for the people like, you know, I feel, I feel bad whenever I put someone in a corner and like judge them, like this woman going through the fridge, even though it's appalling, I'm like, okay, what is your life that led you to this point where you're like, nah, this is how, this is what you do. We're scavengers. Like we, this right. is how, this is survival. And that's and how. like, who went through her fridge? Her people, her people. Like someone did that to her. That's like, a great point. Just, and also that it uh, was so, uh, it must've happened so many times before. Well, they're deported. Mm-hmm. Let's get, let's yeah. go through the fridge. And and how constant yeah. and frequent that was um, in their lives. And yeah, it, the fridge thing, and she says it in the book. She's like, I will never forget this next moment because it's just like this scene. It's the smallest thing that happens in the day, but that also probably made it the easiest to have rage about. And then her, her she has to ask a family friend to take her in. And what's also, um, I actually want to read page 27. I want to read this quote from Marina Budos. She's a novelist that she samples at the top of the chapter head. When we came to America, we became invisible, the people who swam in between other people's lives, bussing dishes, delivering groceries. The most important thing, Abba said, was not to stick out. Don't let them see you. But I think it hurt him to hide so much. Which, I, I, the, by the way, the quotes in this book sampled were, were stunning. When Diane writes, when you're a child of undocumented immigrants, you learn to keep your mouth shut. Someone wants to know where your parents are from, it's none of their freaking business. Like everyone else in our secret network, we followed the first commandment of life under the radar. Do nothing that might bring the cops to your doorstep. Which also struck me because it, it and obviously there's, you know, there's a, whole, there's a whole other podcast with cops, but um, what, struck, what struck me at this is that they, they are supposed to offer safety and protection, and that's also not available to you. And um, one of the um, 
it, at this like Time's Up conference I went to, I met with the Immokalee workers who are this group of women who basically, because they're undocumented workers working in the farms, picking agriculture that was mostly going to places like Wendy's and McDonald's, um, if any sexual assault happened, they could never report it. And they could, they just had, you just have no one to report something to because you're undocumented and the fear of of being removed was so high. They did something incredible, which is why I'm saying it on this podcast, if you guys want to donate money to the Immokalee workers, they went to, because they couldn't rely on the government, they went straight to places like Wendy's and McDonald's and said, um, only agree that you will buy produce from this farm if they promise that women will not be under sexual assault constantly. And they promise to have repercussions for women who go through this. And so any farm that didn't, um, that didn't promise to make sure that the workers were protected, specifically women, McDonald's stop, would stop buying from. And this was like the power they got. And they came together as a network as a whole so that like everyone had to agree to this except for Wendy's who held out, you bitch. Um, <laughs> no, no. How dare you, Wendy's? Named after a woman. Wendy, women support other women. They made, they make, uh, farm workers make $11,000 a year and they pick the food that that hits your table and they pay taxes on it too. I, that was another thing that Diane broke yeah. down in the book which I thought was so great. People don't realize that undocumented workers pay taxes. No. Yeah. If and they're like you how get does that a wage, work? You get you can get a social or uh maybe not a social security number, you can get a tax identifier number. You can get a social security number too. And it's just fake. It just doesn't work, but you can get it and, pay, and they pay taxes on and it. And pay taxes. Yeah. And what did you say? Yeah. Buy and, things. Just that, like, when you buy things, when you buy things in this country, you're also paying a sales tax. Like, you are contributing in every way just by being here. Oh, It is yeah. just a, atrocious to hear the conversations of how people are actually a leech on this country instead of, you know, supporting it and supporting our economy. For anyone listening who's like, but the economy, they've done the math on the economy. If we removed undocumented workers from our economy, multiple things would collapse. One, as consumers, as you said, in the sales tax. Two, the amount of taxes they put into our system is huge. And they do that to prove citizenship, to prove they're good American citizens who deserve to have legal papers. And that's why they pay taxes, even when they're undocumented. And then um, three, the work they do. Um, like, then if someone is ever like, they stole, they steal jobs, be like, great, I have a job for you. You make $11,000 a year working in the fields under horrific conditions. And so, I mean, we really need to fix those jobs. Not to mention, like, just the conversation around it is just, it's really inferior. I wasn't it, I can't, I'm gonna do one of those things where I'm like, remember that yes. one thing that I don't remember who wrote it or who said it, but when there were, these jobs that were put forth. I believe they were agriculture jobs in some state and they were trying to make oh, a and no point one took of not them. offering them to undocumented no workers. And it was like, no one, no one took them. I'm like, what 100%. do you want? And, do you you and, can't um, have both. Like, yes, so I'm, but I'm glad we're covering really? this because Diane has it in the book and I think it answers a lot of questions that people have. And I also think when you read her story and it's so personalized, it, I, 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 look, Prove me wrong, but I feel like if someone read this book, they couldn't walk away a bigot. <laughs> what do you think? Would would this flip all bigots? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think you have to if you are human and have uh, a heart at all. You you can't walk away with the same sort of like negative stereotyped 
you know, one dimensional view on immigration because it's so much more complicated than that. And it is a, you know, it's, yes, it's a policy issue, but it's a human rights issue. It, it's, it goes so deep. Yeah, uh, 100%. Like policy, money, numbers aside, human, there's a human. And and there was a human girl who was just left on her own. It's the kind of thing that makes me feel so uncomfortable in like saluting a flag, you know, because it's like, man, we just like left, we leave kids. We just, and it's heartbreaking to know, I feel so bad. I'm like, I don't want to say this whole thing is heartbreaking because Diane is a wonderful person. Oh, we'll get to the funny parts. There's funny parts in this book. We'll get there. We'll get there. The trauma, well, there's also more trauma in this story. Let's dive in. Okay, so um, her parents, uh, you know, escaped horrific situations to come here. They came here because they were escaping crime, poverty, really bad circumstances. They get here. They're so lovely. She describes them in detail. It's just like the most wonderful parents you could ask for. And they really want to become legal citizens. They don't want to live in fear. And Diane, because she was born here, becomes an American citizen. And they are not. And they're always afraid their family will be split apart. So one day, her dad hears from a friend in the neighborhood that there is a Harvard lawyer who really wants to help families who are undocumented become legal citizens. And They go and meet with him, and he's like, I can make this happen for you, but, like, it's going to cost money, starting at $500, and it's probably going to be, like, $300 every two months, you know, and but we'll get it done. Indefinitely. Indefinitely. And so her dad's like, yes, okay, like, this is worth it, and they take all their savings, all their money, and they give it to this lawyer, and they give it to him— uh, they give them all, they give him all their savings for two years, and her dad keeps calling. And is like, how's it going? And he's like, oh, good, coming along the way. It's it's coming. It's coming. He also made them fill out um, a huge uh, tome of information of all their personal information, give everything so that he could process their citizenship. And then one day he stops picking up, and. Diane and her dad go down to the offices, and uh, everything's gone. The phone's been ripped out of the wall the nameplates off, everything. And he finds out that even the woman in the neighborhood who had told him about this lawyer was in on the scam and she would get $500 for every undocumented immigrant that she sent to this lawyer. And on top of all their money going to him, all their personal information went to him. And and I think beyond just rage, beyond rage, I really... Like, I know if you're running a scam, like, you just don't have ethics to begin with. However, like, within Can't a scam— Can't you scam the rich people? Yeah. Can't you scam like for the and, and also, for the numbers, we're looking at $300 every two months. Like, can't you just pretend to be an SAT tutor? Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> There's other ways to make that money. There's other ways. Like, exactly. Like, why— and and they do this because they know they'll never be reported because you're too you're afraid mm-hmm. to get deported so you will They're never too, report yeah. someone scamming you but which I mean this is just I had this moment where I was like, how do I find him? You know, like, if any nothing makes me want to just be like, I, I'll join whatever organization I need to. This is my life's work now is to find these like scum of the earth people that exploit the most vulnerable in our society. 100. Yeah, like I I don't, you know, I don't work out often, but I will start doing <laughs> push-ups. I'll, I'll start, start running. going on runs. I will figure it out. If, Claudia, we can just down. start going for people who do this. I mean, it and the amount of, so one thing I really love in this book is how she talks about the importance of hope. And weirdly, I was talking about this on another episode about how believing, believing that something can be better is 
the only life force that can drive you. And when something like this happens, it takes away hope. And it's the most precious thing they have. The way she describes, like, her father realizing that this guy has duped him. And it's so many layers of shame and embarrassment and anger. And it's all happening also in front of your child. And, And she, even at that age, can recognize how much it hurt him to have her see him that way. Absolutely. And it's just a feedback loop of, this is why, as I was like writing notes for this and going back over like her family's history, I was like, this is why novellas and telenovelas like in Latin countries are the way they are. Because the tragedy is freaking real. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all this stuff that someone's like, that's ridiculous. It's like, no, that's this my shit life. happens. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, f- you find out that the guy who impregnated you has another family. Like, the lawyer <laughs> steals real all one. your money. No, that's, that's, that's one I've actually heard multiple times. Multiple times. Yes, no, you're so Happened right. Happened to her mom. You're so right. Um, oh, my God. Oh, my God, Claudia. Yeah, it happened to Diane's mom. It happened to her mom. Like, I, I, I was, this is where, like, I don't want— <sighs> No, no what? go on. It's like where I don't want to do the thing where I'm like ticking off all the bad things, but it's like you can go through and it's like this person died in a in a bus accident. This person was shot by and it's just like how much it's too much. Yeah. It's, no, you're so right. D- Diane's own mom like in Colombia got pregnant, got married, was going to live a very successful life, found out he had an entire second ass family. It's, it's, you're right. You're so right about telenovelas because even we're like, oh, come on. It's like, that's the story in Gabrielle Union's book as well. Like her mom finds out they have a whole second ass family. And I I have friends who it's happened to. I mean, here's one question I have. Like, how y'all got the time? Like, I don't even have time to walk my dog. My Lord. The dedication. Like, oh, to do families? You want two? Like, I, I, I just, and that's, this is where I'm like, what? Like, like, do I actually not understand sex? Because I really don't know why I would put up with two families <laughs> for more sex. <laughs> like, I just like, do I not get right, it? What or is something? the appeal? Yeah, what's you, the or appeal? you want more responsibilities and more people draining your more? time and energy? Because that's what families do, right? I guess. Yeah, yeah, right. We're, we're, we're not describing families, families, families together. together. You're right. Like, Maybe they're like families are horrible. I just assume if you have a second secret one that you don't love your family. I guess I'm putting that out there. But you know, maybe I'm judging too harshly, Claudia. Maybe they really love their. Yeah, kids. we're. Passing too much judgment yeah, on the, sure. the two familyers. Um, yes. Okay. So many horrible things. So here's another one. So I'm going to describe the morning that um, Ice comes for her mom. That morning, my mother had been walking a couple of our neighbor's children to school, a side job she'd done for years prior. Single mothers who needed to get to work early would bring their little ones to our place before school. Mommy would then feed them breakfast and walk them to class. In this case, it was summer school, which I'd also been attending. When I came home that afternoon, Lily was in our living room. Same spot, same red eyes, same look of of exasperation. It happened again. We couldn't believe it. My dad had no words. Um, so this was actually the second time uh, her mom was taken and she was doing it by walking other people's kids to school. So that's, that's fun. Yeah. And it's, and to clarify that there is like this timeline of deportation, her family, where the first time her mother is found and found out that people come by her home and arrest her and deport her, she finds her way back. This that you're describing is the second time she's found her way back and who knows how they find her again, like and she's deported again. And then that final time that we were describing where Diane comes home and her parents are gone was sort of the, the third and final, like, this is it, childhood is over kind yeah. of moment. And 
What's tough is that the government had opened up an option to become citizens and no one trusted it. They were like, this is just a way for them to get you into the system and deport you. And her mom did. Her mom was like, I want to be a citizen so badly that she re-upped their paperwork. And later they sort of find out that that someone has to tip, they, they think that someone has to tip you off in order for immigration to come. And they believe that her mom doing this put them in the position to be deported. And it's never clarified if that's what it, what it is or not, but that begins to break her family apart. Um, like she's upset with her mom for having wanted to have been a citizen so bad that she alerted the government to where she was and then got deported. And that's another crushing thing where it's like, it is the system's fault, but then you turn it in on yourself and your family because of- Yeah, the, this is yeah. Uh, why it's hard to get black and brown people vaccinated because no one trusts the government and there's good reason. I mean, get vaccinated, everybody get vaccinated. But like, how do you blame anybody for- Oh yeah. Thinking that you're going to be uh, implanted with something and they will hunt you down and deport you because it happens. It's just- wild. Uh, of course, or that your name on a form or in a website or, you know, that that that, that wouldn't, they wouldn't be collecting a list or for black mm-hmm. people, the Tuskegee experiment where they purposefully fucked with people's health and yeah, a lot. And, and which is why you should get vaccinated because that yes. is not what is happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, don't, yeah, don't, don't get it twisted. I'm not a in saying that someone is going to insert you with a chip, the worst that's happening, hopefully, is that you just don't get COVID. So um, get vaccinated. But. Yeah, yeah. But no, absolutely. And so what's really interesting is that um, they, her whole family knows Diane has different rights than them. And, and she's known that her whole life. So when her parents get deported, she immediately knows that she's staying and has the right to stay. And theater school had been her glimmer of hope, where in school she had a teacher um, tell her that she was talented and to, to sign up for this, um, the, the choir and for drama and this high school, this performing arts high school. And she felt that was her ticket, that if she stayed and worked hard enough and got into this school that her teacher said maybe she could get into, that she could then take care of her parents and help bring them back. And, um, and her mom, even when her mom, when she is in the de- the detention center, pretty jail pretty much, and Diane visits her, her mom asks her, Diane, what are you going to do? And basically has given the choice to Diane, even though she's 14 years old. And it sounds, it, it might sound strange, but it's also like her mom knows that she has a chance at a better life, but are also, but yeah, but also it- She's uh, also human and wants her baby girl with her, yeah. Yeah, she wants her to come to Columbia. And so did you have a moment where you wondered why Diane didn't just go with her parents back to Columbia? You know, I- I did, but I think part of that is also she seemed like a much more aware of her circumstances and like what staying in the States would mean for her. I, I think it's easy to read it. And I was like, don't you want to be with your parents? Like, I wouldn't have had the strength then at 14. Like, I don't know what I would have had done. I probably just would have been like, I need to be with my parents are. But she, you know, I guess had been thinking her whole life about what would happen in that moment. And she knew herself well enough to know that she needed to stay, that the opportunities were there, that they'd worked so hard to get her there. Yeah, That yeah. leaving just didn't make sense. I thought, because I, I thought about it a lot too. And I, the thing is, is like, I think I definitely, if I was aware of the circumstances, I, I definitely would have stayed on my own. 
I except if my mom was like, come with me, come with me right now, I would have gone with my mom. And Diane doesn't. And that is another level of like, oh, then then it makes you be like, oh, how did she grow up? Every single day of her life, you know, what was happening for her to know, like, I can't and I need to stay because it's the better option for our entire family at 14. Yeah. Very, very tough. So then— she is in the States. She's living with a family friend. She's trying to make herself as small as possible and the, the best house guest so she doesn't kicked out, get kicked out um, or cause a nuisance or anything like that. And her parents want her to come visit Columbia. And she books her first visit to go visit her parents since they were deported. And right before she goes, she finds out that they got divorced. They're separated, and they're not speaking. And they're like, we can't wait the to see The blows just keep coming. The hits keep on coming. <laughs> to, to not only be like, I live alone in the States. I have no parents. My parents were deported. I'm going to go visit for them for the first time. Also, they're not speaking, and they refuse to see each other, and they want me to know that before I get to the airport, not to expect them to be in the same room. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. But then also, you step <laughs> into her parents' shoes, and all the stress of trying to stay in the country of— of getting deported, of everything that happened, pulled her mom and her dad apart. And they couldn't yeah. survive the stress, which is like, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, reading it, it I had forgotten that happened. So even when I read the book, I was like, oh my gosh, they're separated. And then it just it completely makes sense. You because you've read all this stress they've been through. And yeah. you're like, yeah, what relationship survives? Yeah. That and, kind of and again, they were both mad at her mom for filing her paperwork and mad at the dad for falling for the scam and like all this stuff that is just not on them, but they couldn't make it through. And then what what really got me, so when I say like the story surprises you, so she goes home to Columbia and a giant band greets her at the airport and all of her mom's friends and family members. And she goes right into this huge party. And it really reminds you of like in, like in the middle of heartache, tragedy, fucking government deportation, there is still bands, there's parties, there's love, there's heartbreak. People like to think of tragedy, I think is like very one dimensional, even like in Uh, TV writing where you're writing a sad moment, there's sort of like, well, this can't be happening at the same time. And it's like, that's not really how life works. Like you can be in the middle of a bad moment and also like hit on someone (laughs) if you want. (laughs) It can be. And, and, you know, Grief is cyclical, and you will find moments to laugh. And thank goodness for that. But that's because otherwise so true. you don't survive. Because otherwise you don't survive. And I underline this, and I feel like it speaks to that so well. Is when she wrote, um, "In immigrant communities all over the globe, celebrating is part of the culture. It's a survival mechanism." And I was like, "Oh my god, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. You have to celebrate things." And it's her first time going to Colombia, and her mom loves their culture and where they're from and they want Diane to love it too and know she has an obstacle to love it because they got deported. Um, what was uh, your parents' favorite part of Colombia and Colombian culture that they taught to you? I probably, the, and I feel like most cultures would be like, this is like when you think of perhaps a culture you didn't grow up in, uh, but you have access to, it's either going to be food or the music. And the music is, you know, such an important part of my life is, just a, a love of putting something on and dancing. And most cultures have a version of that. I'm not like, just Colombians do that. Um, <laughs> but there is, is a joy to it. And and it's something that's so nostalgic and it connects you to, um, to a culture that you hadn't visited before. And she, Diane, certainly had that connection. Like she 
talked about how her mom would give her all these different CDs of these different artists and how they would sing together in the car and how, how, and she wanted to be a singer. So I'm, how important that kind of music was to her. Yeah, absolutely. And I, so actually that brings us into something. So I can't, I can't wait to talk to you about this because you majored in English and then switched to theater, right? I did, And yes. um, I also, um, I also switched at the last second where like I was going to do the, literally what Diane, which like, I guess I'm going to be a lawyer because that's what creative people that's who want to make money do. Money do. And yeah. I was like lawyer or journalist, uh, I guess. Like, you know what I mean? But uh, obviously you can't be an artist. And um, okay, so I want to read this part. Another concern also nagged me. If I pursued a career in the arts, how the hell would I pay my bills? Could I fully support myself after I left Eva's, which is the place she was staying, once I was 18 and on my own? At the time, that survival instinct was strong. So strong, in fact, that it made me second-guess my dreams. Let's not get it twisted. Those dreams were alive and well inside me. I was the same girl who laid atop my twin mattress and fantasized about taking on Broadway. Yet as graduation inched closer, I got more convinced that I didn't quite have the chops to learn it, to earn a living as a performer. So she's in performing arts high school. She hasn't told anyone that her parents are gone. She's suffering a lot at school, obviously, from the emotions and just keeping it hidden. And then when it comes time to decide what next, she thinks, like, I, there's no way I can pursue being a performer. So did you also have that struggle? Oh yeah, very. It's it's either it's like not just a like an immigrant or just like a financial thing, right? Which is like I have to be more practical, and also if you don't have like I think being in the industry and being in LA or or seeing if you have seen someone live a creative path, you have an understanding that like it, it, as opposed to maybe popular popular opinion, it is actually possible to have sometimes a career where you're not. Angelina Jolie, where you're not a huge, you know, you, you don't reach that level of stardom or fame, but you can make a life for yourself. Yes. But you can't, you don't really see anybody doing that because it's not very common in your community or, yeah, you know. I, and at all those jobs, I totally agree with this, where I, I really felt like the option was I can be Julia Roberts in Mystic Pizza or I can probably go fuck myself. <laughs> but like, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's, that's it. it. And there's no you in know, between. But like, I didn't and you're know. Like, and you grow up being like, I'm not Julia Roberts, so I yeah, shouldn't Yeah, I'm not fucking Julia. Oh my God, yeah. And, and you don't know that there's writing jobs, there's directing jobs, especially like for women our age. Like there actually probably wasn't jobs for us, but um, but. I mean, very true. I think now it feels so much more accessible, but yes. especially growing up. And she's in Boston and, you know, like you grew up in the Southwest and I'm in St. Louis and I'm going like, I don't know what you do. Like an artist makes mosaics, right? Or they're oh, like yes. a recording artist. Like, Same. how do you make money at this? I was so, I was just so, I was so, I want to say dumb, but that's mean. Uh, ignorant to the Uninformed, naive. I, like, I really thought like, I guess you go to Broadway and then an agent then. comes. And so I, <laughs> I, when I moved to New York City, I was like, I guess I gotta go see what Broadway is. I like, think I think you go to the mall, and if people don't tell you you should be a model and get you signed up, then that's it. You missed your it. chance. Then you missed your so chance. Just, yeah, I mean, like I didn't know. I didn't know there were other paths. I didn't know there were others. I didn't know anything, and it does feel crazy. And I, I remember thinking to myself because um, I had to audition to this to this <laughs> for the school I went to, and I I only applied to serious schools, and I had a very serious resume, and. 
I told myself, if I get in to this conservatory, I'll know I'm talented. And then I'll go to real college. And then after those four years, I can move and pursue my dream. And I'll always have a backup career, a backup major. You, it's always convincing yourself. And it's not just, yeah, the doubt of like, oh, am I good enough for X, Y, or Z? It's like, how do I support myself during that entire journey? How do I convince everybody that I'm not selfish? There's also a a part of it of feeling like you're being selfish that is very hard to overcome. And I think I can totally see that for Diane in an immigrant family, which is like, not really a how dare, but kind of a how how dare you. Yeah, oh yeah. Take that chance, kind of like the audacity to do something that doesn't have a very clear path and won't make sure that you're as comfortable and as safe as your family has worked to ensure that you have the opportunity to be. Right, which is also why there's a lot more privileged people in this art form because often it takes the privilege of if you fail, your family won't starve, therefore you can go to your dumb Arby's audition um, and it's okay. And like, you know, I don't come from an immigrant family, but I did feel the pressure to financially take care of my mom and take care of myself. And I felt like crippled under that pressure. And then yet when I got in, I felt like I very stupidly was like, it's a sign. It wasn't a sign, but I was like, it's a sign. And um, I'll just take out loans and it'll be fine. And like no one- Just like poor Diane, yeah. Taking out the loans. Sign in your soul on the dotted line. Diane takes out so many loans. It spoke to me so hard. I like sweat reading that because I was just like, oh my God, girl, I feel you. I have to read it. I have to read it. Do it. Okay. I got into one other school, but I settled on Regis right away. It didn't hurt that they offered me a financial aid package that covered the majority of my first year costs. I did have a moment of panic, however, when I realized I'd still have to take out some loans. Who would sign for me? No one. And I thought it was too much to ask Eva or Amelia. So I blundered my own way through the forms and somehow got funded. I didn't understand a lot of what I signed up for. And years later, I'd pay dearly for some of my choices. Let's just say Sally Mae and I have had words over the years. Okay, fine. We basically stopped talking after she accused me of being a a money-thieving bitch. And I accused her of being a money-grubbing whore. Oh, but don't worry, Sally. You'll get your money. Um... Which, by the way, still future tense. She's a famous actress, and she's still paying her. That's how much loans are. Uh, I did the same thing. I, uh, my mom, my mom couldn't co-sign, and so her friend co-signed my loans, and I filled out things. Uh, I I don't know what I, I like blacked out, just wrote things down. And then I was given a bunch of loans and I assumed like, I'll pay $25 a month for the rest of my life. And like, that's fine. And that's just not what it is. They, they literally are like, give us $500 or we'll fucking kill you. And I wish someone had told me that. <laughs> right. And it, it's also a thing where like, I went to a sort of prestigious liberal arts college. And and to me, that was a sign of status and success is like, oh, this college gave me X amount of financial aid. They want me, I want to go to the the quote unquote nicest school that was available to me. So I'll sign whatever I need to. Whereas like if someone had sat me down and talked about interest rate and I feel, you feel so stupid, but it's also like, you're 18, you know, like I, you know, want to kick myself, but I'm like, I was a freaking child, didn't know what I was doing. And like, probably should have gone to the just as good community college or state school and saved myself a lot of trouble. I remembered finding out what college was from Channel One News. And do you remember Channel One News? They would like play it. It was like, I think it was, I can't remember what it was. It was some like student run news program that like schools could buy and play in the morning. It was like Channel One News. And they, um, 
they talked about how in Georgia, they had just made it so the lottery would cover any student with B's or higher to go to state school in Georgia. (gasps) And I remember hearing about it as a kid on Channel One News, and I knew enough to know college meant none of this money shit would happen in your life that that we were struggling with. And I had a plan that I was going to move to Georgia when I was 16, and I would get all A's, and then I would go to, (laughs) and then I would get a free ride to college. And my godmother explained to me, like, there's, you know, there's other ways to do that. But I really, (laughs) I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college, and I really, same way. I was like, this is what ensures you have a good life. And so, Claudia, I think maybe together we're going to do this PSA, because I wrote down my notes, I want to do a PSA. (laughs) Absolutely. If there is anyone college age and listening, I just want to let you know that every job, every single job I have ever had in my life, which is a fuck ton of jobs, I'm talking admin assistant to waitress to uh, cruise ship comedian to onstage comedian to actor in commercials to TV writer, all my jobs, any job I've ever had, there has also been someone working the exact same job who did not go to college, who went to community oh, yeah. college, who dropped out of college, and uh, there's always the Ivy League fucks. <laughs> they have all held my same job, and every time I've been in the room, I was just like, I did not have to take these loans out, did I? Because college will not give you a career. You will give you a career. And so all, if you want to go and take out the loans, like, do it, but, like, your life will be handed to you from you. The college fucking networking program ain't gonna do shit. Uh, and if we're talking about institutions and government stuff, and like, I mean, let's talk about public education. It's, wow, many podcasts are spinning out from this one episode <laughs> now, but. Should we talk about property taxes being tied to public education oh in my the God. book? Yeah. Um, but it's true, like, these are the sorts of things that take up space in your mind. They take up space to distract you from other goals you might have because you're thinking about moving to Georgia to go to college. Like, Diane is trying to figure out where she's, she's going to live. Up her dreams. Yeah. She's absolutely just putting them to bed and putting them in a box and being like, I, I need to survive. You're not allowed to have these. Yes, yeah. yes. And I think um, that's also what they say always about trauma and survival. And really, it's a class issue, whereas if you are living in the quote-unquote lower class, um, you can't think about tomorrow or next month or long-term. You just think about today. And that's why there can be as many opinion pieces about, like, why they don't go to college or take up these grant programs. It's like, I'm just trying to live. And there's not—long-term thinking isn't allowed alongside of Yeah, you can't— Yeah, you can't—you literally can't afford to think long-term because you're—yeah, that dollar has to go to something today. You can't save it for later. (laughs) That dollar has to go somewhere. Okay, with that, let's take a fun break. And when we come back, we promise it's going to get— Well, we don't promise, but we hope it might get more fun. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life. And I can't believe it, but I got to write my own. And it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults how I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes, 
Some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, welcome back. So this next part really, really tripping up Claudia, and I need to hear everything you have to say on it. So as Diane raises herself, goes to college, doesn't have her parents with her, she stops answering her parents' calls. And they call every day. They call once a week. And for seven years, she avoids them and never calls back, doesn't text back, all these things. Until it gets to, like, huge periods of silence. And she even says, like, I have to give my mom a award for most persistent parent because she never stopped calling. So there, there's someone in my life like this who, um, who is like this. Like, you could call them 10 times, and if they don't feel like picking up, like, they won't. Like, you could say, I really need you, and they might not text you back. And it's so hard for me to understand how a person who loves you is capable of that. And so it was really interesting to read it from Diane's side because— I, it's just so hard for me to get my brain around that. So, so what was your take on her not calling them? You know, I mean, I totally get it. <laughs> I think, first of all, like, I have been through periods where I, not a similar relationship in that it'll go years, but we'll have a similar relationship with my parents sometimes. They live not, not in Colombia, but they live far to talk to them. I need to call them. And there are just some times when it feels like a call is so draining and you have to address certain things or even not talking about things is emotional because you know you're not talking about certain things. And it's a really weird trick we do to ourselves where we think it's better to avoid it and not talk to the person, even though you always feel better when you do. But I, yeah, especially with with how abandoned she felt and how much, like what she needed to in was like family therapy for years, you know, like mediated sessions, like, and you don't get that, you know? Yeah. That's such and a so good point. so it's too much. It's like asking a lot for her to, I don't know, have, check in with her parents all the time. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't blame her for these kind of like backing away. No, totally. It, it was, it was good for me to read. And I, I will say like, I swear to God, I can hear <laughs> friends of mine or my therapist probably being like, because you don't have boundaries. Um, That's why you can't understand this. Um, (laughs) Like, I think it definitely falls on me of like, and guilt. Like, I just, I I can never put myself first enough to not, and it's a good thing. It'd be good if I could do that. Um, And with Diane, you're right. I think it's like, she's raising herself. She's been raising herself since she was 14. She was raised in fear and trauma and scarcity and trust no one. You're on your own. That hearing the pain of her parents' voice will do her in. So she just can't do it. Yeah. But I mean, I yeah. can't, I, I don't want to like encourage anyone to cut off content tact or anything like that. And and who know, who's to say, perhaps she needed to protect herself. Like perhaps she really would have spiraled if she had sort of opened herself up to 
that two way of, of more emotion and grief that everyone was sharing, or it could have been really healing, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. And she says she regrets those kind of like lost years, but she just couldn't handle a lot of it. Yeah. Well, which, which leads us into the next part of the book. But first, okay, there is something fun. We said, we said it would get, we did, we get to share some fun stuff because the way it's written, like Dan's a very funny speaker. It's written, um, like somewhat casually sometimes in a really nice way where you can hear her voice. Um, And then she wrote, Up to then, I'd had a serious boyfriend. He was a boy whose name I will not mention. He broke my heart into a million tiny pieces. You know who you are. I thought I loved you, and you loved me. Insert ugliest cry face you will ever see in your life. I'm sure every girl has come across a fuckboy or two in high school and beyond. It hurts. Anyways, I digress. Um... Okay, so I just loved that. Where she was just like, fuck you, you know who you are, but I'm also not talking about you in my book. I know. But also, like, and, yeah, her her parents and are I gone, and she's dealing with a fuckboy? Like, come on, we can't send her a little angel? Ugh. No, and she writes about it, like, kind of in chapters where she's moved past high school, and I'd already sort of had in my mind what her high school experience was like, and then I'm like, oh my God, and you also were just a teenager yeah. dealing with dudes that were breaking your heart. Totally. Like, that is the... The most unfair part of it all is that you and still also, have like, to deal with how, this How strongly you would attach to a boyfriend when you didn't have parents or anything to count on and how, you know, teenage love is always fucking crushing and, like, how extra crushing it must be when that was, like, probably her rock. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you're not in this book. We're also going to put him on yeah. the list. We're going to find him. I'm going to start working out. <laughs> um, so then when she's in college— she finds out she's had a learning disability this entire time. She's dyslexic. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And she has ADD. And what's crazy is that on top of that, when you are first-gen, you're the only English speaker as a first language in your house, you are the voice for your entire household. Like, she's the translator. She's the person who goes and talks to people for her parents. She's reading their legal docs when they filled out everything for yeah, these lawyers. She filled like, out that. Yeah, and she did it dyslexic and with ADD. Give this woman a friggin' a medal, a national, whatever those badges of honor and courage are, a purple heart. One, They're just like, give she her deserves it all. it all. Give her it all. Give her like a bathtub filled with gold coins. Give her her ex-boyfriend on a stake to do what she wants. <laughs> She's earned it. Hunt down that lawyer. Truly. Um, and then, so then she... She talks a lot about sharing and how she's like how she kept this story away from people and didn't tell anyone. And she confessed it once to a random person who who just said like you are safe now. I thought that was a, such a beautiful like if someone confesses something to you to to not be like I'm so sorry or you poor thing, but just to be like you are safe and you are loved. Like what mm-hmm. a cool thing to say to someone. I just that really spoke out to me. But um. She would also tell lies to get out of talking about her life, which I com- oh my gosh. completely relate to. Um, did you relate to that part? Uh, I related to like just like not wanting to get into stuff, but I definitely didn't relate to and but was so struck by when she's like, it was easier to say they were dead sometimes. And I'm just like, oh my God, that is such deep-rooted yeah. trauma that you're like, it's just easier. And like so much associated shame and like, and she's, the thing is, She's not wrong because people don't know how to react to that information. And, like, you don't want to talk about it. So, like, yeah, uh, you don't want to bring it up. It spoke to me so hard because, yeah, for two reasons. One, the effect of trauma is, like, 
in someone talking to you about it, in having to say it, you throw yourself into a traumatized state, if that's where you you are and the level Mm -hmm. it is for you. But also, people really push you for information they don't deserve. And people often don't realize how harmful small talk can be. And, like, small Mm -hmm. talk has plagued Mm -hmm. me my whole fucking life. Like, any small talk answer I give you kind of shows how fucked up and weird my life is. And (laughs) when I wasn't—I mean, it's true. And, and like, it's really—I really feel like it's a measure of privilege when someone is like, so what do your parents do for a living? And you try and get out of it. You're like, oh, you know, whatever. What about you? And they're like, no, what do they do, though? Because for some reason, they think they deserve that information. And that's just a measure of someone who's like— don't even have the reference point to know that sometimes someone doesn't have a parent. Someone's lost a parent. They have a job that feels painful to talk about. Someone uh, that, that, like, where are you from? What if I've moved a lot? You know what I mean? It's just like, it's like, well, Mm -hmm. why and where? And it's like, oh, now I have to tell you why my mom moved us across states? Yeah, you're asking all these things that are identifiers of a very stable life. And it's like, it's a lot of times you don't have those answers totally. and you didn't have a very stable existence. That's and it's like, do you want to open it. this book? Cause it's a long ass book. You open this book? <laughs> well, and also like you can open this book, but you better know how to talk to someone about pain. And if you don't yeah. get the fuck out of this conversation, do you see how mad I'm getting? I'm just thinking of all the people no, who are like, um, you know, oh, you don't have a dad. Oh my God. And you're like, oh, now I feel like shit because you made me you made me tell you, you my life story it. and now you shit made all over me, me feel bad for making you feel bad for me. <laughs> like, yes, why do I got to do this like, game? Oh my God, totally. But you're such a great point. It, you, you said that in such a way, small talk. Um, what did you say? Small talk is questions about a stable life. That's why it's small talk. It's supposed to be easy. <laughs> yeah. It's um, not supposed to reveal uh, your, your whole life. I feel bad because I am one of those people that wants to sometimes avoid things, but also is not good with when someone, like, I wish I was one of those people that, like, knew to say, you're safe. I see you. And I now you, you do, Claudia. So, like, so, well, I guess, I guess now I do. But I, too, and that's why I never want to, like, burden anyone with those kind of questions, too. Because I'm like, I don't know how to answer. I'm shitty at this, too. Like, yeah, oh, I don't know. Yeah. That's why you should only discuss our zodiac signs. That's it. Everyone's got one. Astro- Everyone has something to say about them. <laughs> Astrology was a goddamn gift to society, and y'all yeah. make fun of it. And really, we're gifting you a conversation. Really, anyone it's the can have. only thing we need to talk about. You, no, it's such it's such a good point, and it and it is really hard to. But but I do. I look. It's a it's a podcast with a lot of PSAs. But if you're if if someone doesn't want to have small talk and you push them to, you better be a fucking therapist <laughs> and be good to them. Oh, okay, therapist. I mean, I'm sure you have a lot of other transitions, but we need to celebrate. Sweet Lorraine. Oh That's my so god, let's just do Lorraine right now. Um, I actually want oh to read gosh. the introduction to Lorraine. I if if you listen to this podcast, you're gonna know why I was like, yes! Yes, <laughs> Lorraine. She said, by some estimates, you and I will cross path with as many as 80,000 people during our lifetimes. Many of the folks we'll encounter will be passing acquaintances. Others will be family, friends, and coworkers who remain in our lives for decades. If even one of those people has a lasting impact on us, we're fortunate. Lorraine was my one. Lorraine is her therapist. I, I she also, writes as if it's like a great deep love, and I love that so much. One hundred percent, how I feel about my therapist, where I'm like, oh I my would God. just be a different fucking person, and like it scares me that I almost didn't meet you. You know. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when she said, and she celebrates it, it's like in, it's at the beginning of the chapter where they're usually like in big font. And I just loved seeing her therapist's name printed like that. I mean, truly, I just want to be like repaired by Angela, who's my therapist, like on a necklace, just oh. <laughs> celebrate, celebrate our therapist's Oh my names. God, Claudia, like, that is new merch from this podcast. We're going to attribute it to you. <laughs> repaired by fill in the blank of my therapist. <laughs> Or it's just those necklaces we wear with our name, but it's our therapist's name oh, because they deserve. Like, it's like the hand. I would wear merch that said Angela. Oh yeah. Oh, of Angela. Of Angela, where you're like <laughs> of Sophie, of Angela of Lorraine. One hundred percent. Okay, they sell little nameplates in gas stations of like you can get your name on a keychain. And now let's start a movement where when you're buying that name, you're buying your therapist's name. You're buying your therapist. But also, there are stories where people like give their life savings over to a therapist who like kills them. So. You know, stay oh, away really? from those. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, that's another oh, podcast. Um, oh, dear. I'm just saying, like, you know, don't become addicted, but thank you, therapist. You've saved our lives. Um, yeah, true. Some I, I hate to think that some therapists are like those lawyers. Yes. Because uh, yes. that's criminal. I'm sure that but dude is acting as mo- a Most of them are hopefully sweet baby angels that help you heal yourself. I mean, oh, I just love my therapist so much. Okay. So Diane goes through a really intense, intense thing in this book. Thank God she has Lorraine. I also loved that introducing Lorraine is next to a picture of her in a corset and underwear, as which, oh, yeah. which was her outfit for a, being a cocktail waitress. But uh-huh. that's what I love about these books of like, if I pitched a character to a network and I was like, yeah, she's like a cocktail waitress, but like she's like senior therapist and... You know, she's hugely depressed. There's, you know, there's something, like, distasteful about it. Of, like, oh, but she's a slutty cocktail waitress. And it's just, like, like, no. And we yes. Can, we can also be slutty cocktail waitresses. I can be a slutty yeah. cocktail and be waitress working on ourselves. deeply needs therapy. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. my right. Um, but also, yeah, she needs money. And um, she goes in, and they're, like, you're a cocktail waitress now because she's super cute. Let's go through what happens in these chapters. So she is in intense depression. She takes herself off her ADD medication because she was so depressed. Um, I've also done this, so I was like, it felt right. And she starts um, cutting and hurting herself to the point where she'll wake up in the hospital. She has a boyfriend named Brian during this time. And in it, Brian doesn't sound like a good guy, but in the book, she says, like, I, like, poor Brian. I feel so bad for Brian because he was basically dating uh, someone who who was going through an intense amount. And I got to tell you, this is my apology to a couple guys I dated, too. It's like, oh, you oh were dating, God. like, a woman on I fire. Felt, I felt her so real when I when she's yeah. like, oh, poor Brian. And she's, she's not like, Brian was amazing, but she's like, I feel bad. And I'm like, yeah. If, if there's a an AA sort of like making amends <laughs> condolences for like when you went through those hard years and the people you put through with it, I'm like. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to be like, you're a total prick. You didn't deserve me. You're such a fuckhead. And I am so sorry because I was living yes. undiagnosed and like, what a, what a problem yes. for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we both need some things to work on, but uh, yeah. Uh, listen, years. listen, years. you and have Diane more to work on than me. However, I'm still very sorry. Right. That's my apology. <laughs> I am very I mean, sorry yeah, for truly. not finding I was, I, I am, we're both owed some apologies. I totally stand by that as well. But oh. Uh, oh, it's, yeah. not, it's not fun time to date each other. <laughs> That's the worst. When just two two people that need a lot of work find each other. It's, it's tough. Uh, it's real oof. tough. Um. So, okay. Then some harder shit happens. Diane contemplates suicide. She almost goes through with it. 
Um, and, but she doesn't, and it's kind of by happenstance. And she, the first thought she has is being so grateful that she didn't and that she doesn't want to do that. And um, that's when she finds Lorraine. And um, what is so interesting about this book is many things. The, this it's actually not interesting, but there's no psychic moment in this book. And what I what I love though is that there is is there not is there there no you're right you're right there's not. But I remember like noticing it so much in the book because I was keeping an eye out for like therapists and psychic moments. And her mother tells a friend right before she's there deported is a about her dream. Moment. You're right. Her dream with the fish. And it's it's true. It's not like a psychic telling her what's going to happen. No, it, this but is the psychic is moment. Like, There's always a psychic in the book. You're right. The uh, A woman told her mom that she had a dream of like a dead fish and that it was a bad sign. And her mom had a feeling it was about her getting deported and that she got deported. Well, you know what? what, So you're right. There is a psychic moment. But what I will say is that even though there isn't a psychic talking to Diane, Lorraine really is like, there's a therapist moment now. Now, and really, I don't Mm -hmm. know why I didn't notice this first, but there's a therapist in almost every single one of these books too. So. Oh, yeah. um, It's it's such a good thing that that is a tool that is, um, people know is readily accessible and can be so helpful that we see it in so many of these memoirs. 100%. Thank goodness. And destigmatized. She does see um, a different therapist in the book, too, that she hates. And she described her as um, that perky Pollyanna kind of friendly that makes you want to puke. And I underlined it and wrote, I think this is me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very worried. I was like, oh, I bet that's me. Okay, and then, okay, there's another, this is the other moment in the book that I, that I was like, I guessed. And um, you can tell me why it doesn't matter. But on a page 165, there's a sentence that says, that worked for the most part, except when I got terribly. And then there is a, an emoticon of a sad face. An I emoji. The emoticon circled. <laughs> the emoji. Yeah. And I, there's only one. There's only one of these in the book. It, I, I'm definitely, I, I treat social media like trash and I love emojis. I love not having to write my feelings and just putting the things. I love that. But in a book, I was really like, no, we can't put emojis in books. Or if we do. It's also such a strange looking emoji. Like it's not one you get on your phone. Yeah. And it's not or, a full emoticon. It's so strange. But this is another moment where I'm like, did no one say, like, since you're not stylistically using emojis, maybe take the one emoji out and write the word sad? Yeah, it's on the same page as a health hashtag self-sabotage. So maybe but that is her I can get self-sabotaging. Down. I can get down with the hashtag self-sabotage because that still feels, oh my God, Claudia, <laughs> I blew past your joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, I think she thought it was stylistic perhaps on that page, but it's like, it was a choice for, yeah, one page out of it. No, you're right. Hashtag self-sabotage. That's what that was. Listen, we can, we self-sabotage. Okay. So then Lorraine with that, the only therapist to be like, you should follow your dreams of being an actor, um, helps her follow her dreams. And I, she, she gives great, great advice about following your dreams. If you are in the entertainment business, this is a book to read. It's so often these journeys, you think you think they came from nothing. Then you read their memoir and you're like, they always had help. 
They always had help. This is bitter, Chelsea. Um, And Diane really came from zero. And so I really related to parts of the book when she moves to New York City and has to walk around with like a huge bag strapped to her at all times. Like that was definitely my life. Like I was just- She's still traveling back to Boston. Oh my God, yeah. A few, like- a few times a week to keep working. Like, oh man, she really hit the pavement. Hit the pavement. She did they, the thing. She, they tell her you have to spend $1,200 on headshots. I also fell for this. Oh my God. I wanted to appear like a ghost in her past and go, honey, don't. Don't. You put that money away. Don't honey, spend $1,200 on freaking headshots. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, 100%. I, I remember I had faked my headshots and, you know, where it's like you I literally remember standing in front of a black sheet that I then returned to Kmart. Um, I, like I, and it was wrinkled too. Like and God, that's I was like, why I have earned <laughs> every penny. Damn it, that's why. <laughs> Come on. Right, but yeah, and then a, a casting director made fun of me and was like, "You need real headshots." And then I did everything I could to get twelve hundred dollar headshots that look like shit. And um, I still yeah. did book work, so <laughs> it's like. You don't know ah, that. the life of an actress. We're like, go after your dreams and then telling all the pitfalls. But you know what? Every career is going to have something where you're spending too much money on something. I don't know. Um, I think this this career is definitely worse. Oh, no. I really do. <laughs> okay. I really, I, The I, sunk costs for acting are very high. Definitely financially and also uh, emotionally, which is why I loved reading memoirs because I, I do feel like I was prepared to get the shit kicked out of me because I read books mm. like this and Diane's where people are like, you're ugly. And she's like, okay, thanks. And they're like, but I guess you can, well, I'll sign you. Um, and so you're, you're ready Every for Every gorgeous it. performer in these memoirs has had someone that's like, I don't know. You don't have the looks, kid. And you're like, this, this goddess, person. this Aphrodite? Yes. What? Oh, yeah, true. Let's find them. Let's add them to our list. We're finding them as well. well. We're hunting them down. Um, but she she writes really great things about how you have to protect your dreams and don't just tell them to anyone because people love to shit on dreams. That's very true. People love to um, tell you not to pursue them, especially— don't even let me on this podcast <laughs> shit on on it enough to not follow them. Um, oh, and then she wrote something I really loved. She said, there are years, oh, she's quoting something. Uh, she said, there are years that ask questions and years that answer, Zora Neale Hurston once wrote. The year 2009 was the one that asked me why I was here. The years 2010 and 2011 gave their answer. Uh, so That part gave me chills because I think everyone has some year where they're like oh that number on the calendar is like triggering <laughs> just because you know that was a dark time yeah and you're hopefully in a, in a brighter time I just felt so happy for her that she was able to put that in writing she's like I have the years now under my belt that made me know it was worth you know uh, yeah. worth it to keep going and to pursue my dream. 100%. I totally agree. I ha- I could look at my life and be like, those are the years that asked the questions. Those are years that gave the answers. And the question asking years are really tough, but they're worth it. Um, okay. So then she finally reconnects with her mom. Her mom has relocated mm. to Madrid at this point. When she gets off the plane, realizes her mom got a nose job. And this is another thing where I think people will be surprised of like, this can't be in the, you know, immigration story. But it's like, yes, people right. are real complicated layered that humans. That would be ridiculous. Her mom hated if her she nose. she was super tan. Yeah, and super tan. Oh, and she'd gotten her life together. She had like a job on a farm and she was like 
super happy. And even though she Diane had ignored fit. her, she had a car. Yeah, oh, I was like, so damn. happy for her. And even though plastic surgery bums me out, possibly to a degree that I should get over and just accept, I felt so happy for her mom. Yeah. And especially like, uh, I too have, you know, very conflicted feelings about plastic surgery, but also like wanting to do the thing that makes you feel your best self and confident. And at least when I read this thing about her mom, I was like, you also have to be like in your forties and you were like, Mm-mm, I am in control of my body and my nose and my life. Yeah. <laughs> and and like, like, you know what? Yes. Good for you. Life I guess. is shit on like, me. Now I'm doing what I want. It also speaks to like uh-huh. how much shit can happen in a woman's life. And yet still she feels the need to physically oh change herself. But you know what? So true. But that's for another podcast. That's another, another time. So then Diane is pursuing the arts. She gets an audition for Orange is the New Black. Now here's another part of the book that we're, that I was like, what? The series was described to her as a web series. So I was like, oh, she, she, there was clearly like a web series that originated this Genji Cohen, who's already a huge showrunner show, whatever. But then when she gets there, it is all the, the A-list actors that are, it is Orange is the New Black. And she keeps talking about how she signed a contract for a web series and she thought no one would see it because it was on the internet. And she never doubles back to be like, I had it wrong or, or they said web series, what they meant was Netflix. And I'm just like praying she didn't get web series money. And I'm a little worried she did. <gasps> oh my gosh, I don't know. Right? Because especially in those early years, because because I, I get why she said web series, because they were like, it's going to be streaming. It's going to be on this web platform. And this was the early, early days of Netflix. These things were not nominated for Emmys yet. Yeah. Like we... I remember when that show came out and how celebrated it was and how big a deal it was because it was on a streaming platform because it was on Netflix. Yes. And it was the first thing I thought to like, at least to be in headlines that I read where I was like really taking notice. I think I just needed the paragraph that was like, we thought it was a web series, but then realized it was a streaming show. But instead I'm like so worried. (laughs) I know. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I hope she got not web series money. Oh dear. I know. I know. We got to find out. Um, Okay. So then... Okay. Oh, by the way, her chapters about Orange is the New Black, if you are a fan of the show. Oh, I loved how she described the castmates and the friendships. It's really, we're skipping a lot because now now we're, we're we got to get to the end. Um, she puts, she puts a man in the book. Now she does the smart thing. She only gives him the letter J. However, it is, it is the letter of his, his real ass name and they are no longer together. And it's very easy to find the person whose name oh, started with J. Oh, instantly was like, yeah, same here. Instantly, I was upset at how easy it was, and uh, and I wanted them to be together, and and they are not. But yeah, it looks like she's with someone else. And then um, and then because she's on Orange Is the New Black, suddenly has this platform, and she wants to help um other immigrants, other people, other undocumented workers, and she connects with a woman who's like, write your story, and just let's just share your story, and she writes an op-ed. And it changes everything for her and it gets her story out there. And even the writers on Orange is the New Black end up writing her character storyline off of this. What I really loved about this and really spoke to me is that she wrote the op-ed because she wanted to help, but she wasn't ready for strangers to talk to her about her deep, dark trauma. (sighs) This goes back to the small talk. Yes, and reporters and interviews. And she says like, when I go on camera after this, I often look like I'm being really rude because they're asking me all these questions that I actually, like, hadn't— She hadn't even—she said people in her own life found out that her parents had been deported from her op-ed 
And I, I just really relate to that, how it's like easier to write it down or share it with the world than like say it to someone and how you really have to be ready for people to just say words that are seemingly kind, but trigger you. And, and how she did it before she was ready really struck me in the book. Yeah. And it's such, um, it's like a a double sacrifice because you are, you know, you're helping people, but you are inadvertently, and she says this in the book, like defining yourself by this event. And it was very hard for her family to also be defined by this event. And, 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 I mean, yes, she literally wrote a book on it and we are discussing it. So I don't feel as bad, but like we led with the story. Well, that's kind it, of the it's point. also in but the it's order true. of the book, like, yes. Right. We, you know, I think of her and I, and I think of this, you know, but also I think of it because she made a good point of, of uplifting the story and like trying to, I, I think once she got some public momentum, understanding that it did give her a platform. I don't think we would equate her as much with the story if she had done the job of like, okay, I wrote that one thing and I never want to talk about it again. Like she she did lean into acknowledging that this this happened and hopefully it can help other people like her story. Yeah, and I think because it started to help people, I think by the time she's writing the book, she is in the place. But when she had just shared this op-ed, wasn't. And yeah, I, I... I totally agree and extremely relate to not telling people the dark shit of your life because I want to be known as a comedian. I want to be known as like a really funny woman who is hopefully kind. And I don't want to be known for the worst thing that ever happened to me. I want to be known for the best thing I ever did on my own. And it's just not how life works. It's You just don't, yeah. you don't get it. And it's not how it happens. And you have to like be ready for that. Which is also fine. Um, okay, now let's talk about how Wilder Valderrama is a condescending little bitch. Um, <laughs> so she gets <laughs> like in line there from this op-ed. Um, uh, from this op-ed, she writes she gets invited to meet Obama. Obama is another theme in these memoirs, which I love. Obama's like, come to the White House. She goes, Wilder Valderrama's there. He says, to, she, it's written in the book as a very nice moment, I should say. Um, but he turns to her and says, is this your first time meeting the president? Don't worry, he's super cool. And it's like, shut <laughs> up. Is this your first time he's meeting like the president? A, he's like a senior girl in college, just being like, oh, is this your first time? Yeah. Don't worry, oh, it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> don't worry, it's really great. It's like, why are you here, Wilder Valderrama? Honestly, he was probably there for something great I don't know about, but it <laughs> bummed me out <laughs> You're so right. Um, And then she also talks about, like, meeting celebrities on the red carpet and saying hi and them being, like, assholes to her. And she literally writes, ha-ha, good reminder to never be this way. I love how—I mean, she's just—she's, like, your best friend who this crazy thing happened to. And she's still Yeah, I so relate to her just being, like, I'm not the most—like, I'm shy and I'm not the most social sometimes. And where she's, like, I'm weird about— hugging. And I end up doing a weird handshake or hug. And I've like, I've never related to anyone. <laughs> I'm like, I don't not want people to touch me, but like, I'm not one of those, like, let me embrace you and hold you to my bosom. And I just <laughs> felt her so much where she's like, you don't oh, press don't people into your boobs every time you meet them. That's you're so shy. <laughs> I don't mind when people do it to me. I'm not good at doing it to other people. Listen, Claudia, nothing is more awkward than someone saying I'm a hugger. So I think what you're doing is great. And I'm not going to lie, in my most nervous times, that phrase has come out of my mouth. And I'm not a hugger, but I'll be like, I'm a hugger. Just because I'm like, I guess I've seen other people say that. I can fill the time with that phrase. Mm. And then they're like, I just get nervous and say things we've heard on TV. And now you write those things back into it. The cycle continues. Yeah, sorry. We're putting that shit right back in. This is our tribute. Um, Okay. We're towards the end of the book. Claudia, do you want to read... 
Um, the last page, I two, sort of highlighted the last two 30. paragraphs. I wish I could tell you that my story has a perfect ending. Such a finale exists only in the make-believe worlds of my childhood. Even in the best of times, life is a mixed bag of disappointments and triumphs, heartaches and highs. Life hands out all of the above, and we don't get to pick how many of each we'll get or in what order they'll show up. But we do get to choose how we'll walk through our days, whether we'll cower under our covers every morning or rise up to take on the challenges. Lord knows I've done both. And now that I'm on this, this side of things, I'd recommend the latter. We end every podcast with a thank you to the author. Um, mm. My thank you is thank you for when you do have a platform like this to bring one of these stories to light that often will only get told on the news or in generalizations or in stereotypes. Like it, it's the most the most powerful thing she could do truly was tell her story and not being ready and having to go through all the pain of it every time she tells it, I just feel so thankful. And I also love that she kept her sense of humor and she kept her voice and she stayed exactly who she was as she told the story. I'm just so grateful to her for writing this and being so, It's it feels so cliche to say like, and being so vulnerable, but it's like there, she talks about it so much that her father feels, her family feels, is this how much like shame and fear is associated with like, all of this and she just put it in a book and really had to face a lot of that and be like, I'm not ashamed and I'm not afraid. Even if I am, I'm telling you these feelings that are, that are very real and that I experienced. And the whole thing she, the, one of the quotes was about this of like, and it, it like makes me want to sob the part where it's like, I think it hurt him to hide and to be that small. And it takes so much to believe you're worthy and believe you're big when you have spent your whole life feeling that small and feeling that need to hide. And I'm just so grateful to her to step out of that. Like, it's uh, really, it's so, so hard. I, and, oh, yes, that, in I have a completely different life and it that speaks to me so intensely. Um, and so you're so right. And but to watch someone else do it is like so, it's it's really cool to to see that she wrote this book and also told her family story. You're right, because it's her parents' shame, too. Um, okay, so the new thing in the podcast is, did oh, this pass? there's something new. There's something new. It came from it came from the cookies episode. Um, oh, that's right. We're adding the book dill test, which okay, is— Okay, I need—I did listen to the episode, but yeah, I need to hear the, okay. the book oh, dill thank test you. once again. Okay, was the author vulnerable? Did she give us her truth? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Truth-filled. Was it entertaining to read? Yes. I would say it's entertaining. I would say it's, a, it's also, uh, for as tough as it is, it is a very quick read. I, I almost want to call it breezy, but it is full, fill, filled with pain. But it's very, very entertaining, quick read. Yeah. Did it elevate your life? Did it elevate my life? Did something in the book, yeah. Did you feel like, I feel elevated having read this? Like, this, this gave um, me something. I do. And I think I feel it even more the second time. I feel like I got more out of it in a second reading, to be honest, because um, I think a lot, I think the, the, the farther I get in a career, especially in this industry, about being small or having dreams and believing you are, you know, can be worthy of more and step into the spotlight. And I, I really felt that this time reading this book. I love that. Yeah, I absolutely I, that absolutely passes for me too. And even though the writing sometimes was like casual and I wasn't ready for it in book form, I loved it. Mm-hmm. And it did feel extremely elevating to read 
The specificity is everything, and connecting a story to details like that is just, can be very changing. So, yes, Mm. are we saying it passes? It passes. It passes the Bechdel test. Oh, Claudia. It's certainly a different kind of, because she's such a young woman as well, you know, the memoir is going to, and because so much of this happens when she's a young girl, a lot of it kind of reads like the diary of a young girl. So it's very different than a memoir where you're reading about someone's full life and their yes. their adulthood and their motherhood and their, you know, deep and wise experiences of womanhood. That's going to leave you feeling a totally different way. And I love those books. That's so such a great may point. Feel, yeah. So it may sometimes feel a little like, oh, this, you know, when it's not like a really intense thing happening, like, oh, we're talking about a school recital. Oh, we're talking about, that was the most intense time of her life. Yeah. You know? And you're right. You're right. All, and I can see her having another book in her. And in it, I hope mm-hmm. to God, she, her parents can be reuni- reunited and come back. <sighs> Claudia, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for this bringing wine to my porch the other day. Um, <laughs> tell everyone where they can find you. Oh my goodness. You can find me on Instagram at Claude Dog with two Ds. I have a Twitter that I never update, but if you really want some jokes from like 2015, go for it. Um, yeah, and that's kind of my two spots. I love it. And I'm going to post in the visual story of this episode your JLo pictures. So look out for that on the Instagram. <laughs> thank thank yeah, you yeah. so much for coming on. That's all for this week's episode. I love talking to Claudia, and she said she forgot to mention it on the podcast, but her parents were in town while she was recording this episode, so it all felt very kismet and adorable. If you want to see pictures of Claudia, her photo series with, uh, posing as JLo, go to my Instagram story, at Chelsea Devantes. I will also be posting a visual story that goes with everything we talked about in the book, a bunch of cool pictures about Diane, all of it. Every time I post a visual story that goes along with a podcast episode, it is saved in my highlights. So at Chelsea Devantes, you can always find it no matter when you look. We also have a Facebook group, Celebrity Book Club Podcast. That is where you can start your own conversations. People post articles, um, talk back and forth. It's a very cool place to hang out. And yes, I'm saying hang out because it's still the pandemic and that's where I hang out. I could not do any of this without our incredible production team here at Stitcher, executive producer Daisy Rosario, associate producer Corinne Wallace, and producer Brandon Nix. If you want to listen to ad-free episodes of Celebrity Book Club, you can only do that on Stitcher Premium and use the promo code BOOK at stitcherpremium.com to get a free month. As always, reviews really help the podcast, not to mention, selfishly, I love them. So leave us a nice review if you have a moment. And I will be on Instagram at Chelsea Devantes recapping our next books to talk about on the podcast. And we have some amazing bonus episodes coming up as well with some celebrities. So stay tuned and I'll see you guys next week.